Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Noise. The noise of a rocket flying and explosions. That's what I saw and heard when I was in the shop. We've been talking a lot on this podcast about the atrocities Russia has committed on the ground in Ukraine. Two people dead and one wounded man. He covered his wife with his body, but he got injured himself. And I know they're tough to hear about. They're even tougher to talk about. But we're doing it because Ukrainians, they don't have a choice. They can't look away. It's happening in their country day after day. And what Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky has been saying is that these horrible, shocking images amount to more than war crimes. It's genocide. And last week, President Biden agreed. Yes, I called it genocide because it's become clearer and clearer that Putin is just trying to wipe out the idea of even being able to be a Ukrainian. But some Ukrainians fear that proclamations like this could ultimately be toothless. My guest today is CNN Chief International Investigative Correspondent Nima Albagar. She has reported extensively on human rights abuses all over the world, including uncovering evidence of torture, detention, and execution in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. We have to be careful where we step because the Russians are also dispersing mines from the rockets that they're sending over into here. I spoke with her on Friday from Kharkiv in the east of Ukraine. We talk about how the city is dealing with near-constant Russian shelling, the legal definition of genocide, and why Ukrainians are not giving up hope that the perpetrators could one day be brought to justice. From CNN, this is Tug of War. I'm David Ryan. So Nima, you're in Kharkiv, Ukraine's second largest city. What does the conflict look like on the ground there? What are you seeing? Well, we we arrived at the front line at Saltivka the day after um, Putin had made the statement that the, the peace talks were dead. So we had an expectation that it, that it would begin to intensify at the front line. But I don't think even we expected how rapidly it would intensify. The shelling's just been absolutely relentless from the moment that we've arrived. We've been hearing it. The soldiers were incredibly nervous. And we were very aware that we had taken this risk. We'd come out this far and we needed to reflect that while perhaps the officials in Europe and the US were saying Russia is building up towards this offensive, the view from the ground was that this offensive had begun. That is so close. Those are Russian positions. They're shelling towards us. We are just over a mile away from the Russian forces. And the Ukrainian soldier was um, very curt and very kind of stern about needing to move. Yeah, let's go. So from where but also, actually, what you don't see is when we got back to our cars to start moving is actually how 
lovely he was when he was saying goodbye, that, you know, how, how kind of touched he was that we'd come out that far front and that we'd gone with them to, to, to see how horrendous the extent of the damage was because this is the largest residential district in Kharkiv. Mm. This was where most people in this city lived. These were people's homes and you had all these empty playgrounds and the, the wind whistling through the curtains. You know, there's this standing there and these pink curtains were billowing out and you could see plastic flowers through the window that had been knocked over in a vase. And it, it, that's always the heartbreak, right? Is that when you're in these areas, you get these glimpses of, of normality and you have to remind yourself that where you're walking, people not only lived, but you know, they loved and they brought up their families and they, they had children and now all of that is gone. And how do you convince someone to go back there? There is nothing worse than being driven from your home. I really believe that. There really isn't. And being in Saltivka under that shelling was, was a real reminder of that. You know, European officials have told CNN that Secretary of State Antony Blinken believes that this war could last all through 2022. Do you get a sense from people you talk to that this is really going to be a long, grueling time for them? Absolutely. And a lot of the, especially the older people that you see living pretty much smack bang at the front lines are very committed to staying in their homes. And, you know, of course, I'm saying that without any judgment, right? You know, yeah. people choose to stay or people choose to leave. It's always such an incredibly difficult choice. But a lot of them believe, as one woman told us, that nowhere in Ukraine is safe. So why leave home? Why put yourself through that horrible wrench in your final years? One man that we met, literally at the front lines as the shelling was intensifying, was going back to his apartment that he shared with his mum, his elderly mum, on the 16th floor of one of these old Soviet-style um, apartment buildings. And he said his mother was deeply religious surrounded by iconography in her home and believed that it was her duty to remain in her home. And you have to remember that while I think sometimes the international community has a very short memory, this is not the beginning of this for so many people in Ukraine. There are so many people, uh, you know, I, I'm in my early 40s of my age and, and older who lived through the Soviet repression, who lived through being told that they couldn't speak Ukrainian because it was an insult to, to Mother Russia and to mm. the Soviet Union, who lived through the Medan uprising, the pro-democracy movement, who lived through the war in Crimea. And I think it's really important for people to remember that just because the world has decided now that it is enough, it doesn't mean that this is the beginning or the end of the pain and the journey that these people have been on. Do we get a sense that that pain is still being directed at civilians? Like, what's the Russian playbook here? It feels very indiscriminate. We were at a hospital today, and there was a shell that landed, luckily for everyone, just in the courtyard of the hospital, blew out all of the windows, destroyed much of the facade. One of the nurses and her two-year-old grandson was killed. Wow. Yeah, can you show me where, where, the, where was the body when you arrived? When I arrived, uh, the body was somewhere, somewhere here. Somewhere. 
when we speak about the targeting of civilian areas, it makes it sound, even in that phraseology, like there is a, a, you know, a clear pattern and a clear intent. No, it is indiscriminate and haphazard and, and just absolutely appalling. Two people outside Ukraine understand that it's not something like Something like a uh, game, Call of Duty shooter, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's in the reality. Yeah, <laughs> For those of us who've seen the effects of Russian aggression in Syria, it feels incredibly evocative of what you of those images that we were getting out of Aleppo or Idlib. One soldier, one Ukrainian soldier at the front line said to us, really kind of shocked that we come that far out, he's you know, he said to us, Welcome to hell. This is hell. Mm. And 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 why are you here? And it's really heartbreaking when you hear things like that because people are still dying every day, they're risking their lives purely by choosing to continue to exist inside the borders of their country. More of my conversation with Nima Albagar in just a minute. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When we hear President Biden come out and say this is genocide and everybody's saying that Putin should be tried as a war criminal on the ground, that doesn't mean much to those folks. No, because it hasn't stopped death from raining down on them. In fact, if anything, in the last few days, it's been very clear that the that there is a renewed offensive, that much of the, the action, for want of a better word, on the ground has intensified. And I think also for those of us perhaps who've, who've gone through these cycles a few times, we, there's also a great deal of cynicism. To hear US officials say that President Biden was speaking from the heart when he called it genocide is to feel incredibly disappointed, not only in President Biden, but in this administration, right? Because you don't get to speak from the heart and use legal terminology. Genocide means something. And the reason the Genocide Convention exists is because it was always meant to trigger a legal obligation. Can you explain that? What genocide actually means in terms of a legal framework and, and what it's supposed to trigger, as you say? So Article 2 of the Genocide Convention states, and I'm reading it out because I have it here, states, a crime committed with the intent to destroy a national, ethnic, racial, or religious group. And from a legal perspective, you also often take into account the historical context. So with Ukraine, you, you also have the, the cleansings and the massacres that were perpetrated 
when Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union by forces loyal to the Soviet Union. So you, you have all of it. You have the historical context. You have the fact that, that Russia has said that they want to wipe out the very existence of what it means to be Ukrainian. And yeah. what that was meant to trigger is responsibility to protect, which under international law means that you can act against a state power acting aggressively in violation of international law, in violation of the Genocide Convention. Hmm. Now, under George W. Bush, the U.S. was able to set the legal precedent that even though they did manage to secure the United Nations and African Union hybrid forces peacekeepers in Darfur, they still themselves, as a state actor, did not have a responsibility to protect, a legal loophole, essentially. And now, by doing this again, President Biden is essentially enshrining that legal sidestepping of responsibility to protect. He's essentially hmm. rendering toothless much of the kind of Second World War international humanitarian law consensus, while at the same time calling Putin a war criminal. And, and, and that hypocrisy also plays out in any attempt to try and prosecute President Putin, because President Putin is not, Russia is not a signatory to the, to, the, to the International Criminal Court, which means that there is no obligation on the part of the Russian government to hand over Putin if he was ever indicted by the International Criminal Court. Ukraine is not a signatory to the International Criminal Court, but it has willingly placed itself under the legal jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court at The Hague. What complicates matters is that the United States is also not a signatory to the Rome Statute that founded the International Criminal Court. So the idea that the current administration feels comfortable calling for the international prosecution at The Hague of, of President Putin is kind of cynical. I'm going to use the same word. It's very cynical, actually, because they know that they will not ever put themselves under the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court. So it plays into Putin's propaganda. It, it plays into much of the disinformation that Russia is so good at. This idea, once again, of American, as they put it, imperialist overreach of asking others to do what you are not willing to do. What's really interesting, I think, is something that the, the prosecutors here in Ukraine are trying to work towards, which is that if they manage to try in absentia Russian commanders for war crimes on Ukrainian soil, then they can, in essence, almost sanction them through the back door. Because if they give that charge in absentia to Europol or Interpol, uh, then essentially those Russian generals or commanders will be stuck inside Russia. So I find it really interesting that the Ukrainians are quietly attempting to find a way around the ways in which the international powers, while claiming to be standing in solidarity and side by side with Ukraine, are not doing what needs to be done. So once again, the Ukrainians are just doing what they need to do. So given all of that, is there any hope for Ukrainians to get any kind of justice here? Well, I mean, I think my experience, and, you know, I, I've, I, I've been doing this for quite some time, is that eventually justice 
in some way, shape or form is served. The first conflict, well, the first big story I reported on straight after university was Darfur. And so many of the, the victims and the eyewitnesses sadly have been killed. The reporting that I did for Reuters based on their eyewitness testimony is being used at The Hague in the genocide trials that are just starting up there. Hmm. So, I mean, that's 15 years later. It, it is slow and painful, but I am ultimately an optimist. I believe that fundamentally people care. People care. I don't know about institutions and I don't know about leaders, but I know that people care. And so ultimately, I think people find a way. Um, I would be really sad if Ukrainian victims had to wait for 15 years. But I also think that's why I'm so outraged at the misuse and the casualness um, of terms like um, war crimes and genocide, right? Because initially, uh, uh, just a few days before President Biden said that he wanted to call it genocide, he'd leave the lawyers to figure out what that meant. Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, was saying that labels aren't important. What's important is that we recognize that these acts are evil. Actually, you don't get to make that decision. The one thing I think that this job has taught me is that you cannot take away the agency from victims. It's patronizing and it's horrible. And I think the victims here deserve better. The victims everywhere deserve better. Well, Nima, thanks for being there and thanks for talking to us. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for, for keeping a focus on this. That's it for us today. Thanks, as always, for listening. Remember, new episodes of this podcast every Sunday and Wednesday. And if you're looking for real-time updates on what's going on in Ukraine, you can subscribe to CNN 5 Things wherever you listen. Tug of War is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by me, David Rind, along with Audrey Horowitz, Nathan Miller, and Paula Ortiz. Felicia Patinkin is the senior producer, and Megan Marcus is the executive producer. Special thanks to Andrew Morse, Courtney Coop, Ashley Lusk, and Elizabeth Roberts. I'll talk to you next time. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app.